If you have your Bible with you, please go ahead and turn to the Gospel of John. We're going to be in John chapter 18. So if you need a little help there, it's the fourth book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So John chapter 18. However, before we actually get into the message this morning, I need to do a little bit of church business. So if you're first time or you're newish to Anthem Church, just kind of bear with me here. And hopefully this will be a bit encouraging and at least let you know what's going on in the life of our church. So God has graciously provided this building that we currently inhabit here uh, this morning. And quite honestly, the overwhelming majority of churches, church plants would kill for a space like this. This is a tremendous blessing, an incredible luxury for a church plant. It is 20,000 square feet on a major highway within the city limits with plenty of parking. It is about as good as it gets, especially if you are a church plant. What kills a church plant so often is its facilities. It costs too much. It's in a bad location. It's too small. It bottlenecks you. And God has provided this place for us to operate in. So here we are this morning. So we're using it clearly to gather on Sundays to worship God. We use it throughout the week for various Bible studies and discipleship. But not only that, we are using this building. We are stewarding this building for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it was mentioned in our announcements. In just a few weeks, we're hosting our fourth annual free yard sale. We call it a free yard sale for lack of a better term. We take items that normally people would sell during their own yard sale. Instead, they donate them and we give it away for free. Clothing, toys, furniture, appliances, tools, kitchenware, hardware, like all of it. And we just give it out to people in the community that don't have the resources on their own to go out and buy it or they're struggling. So we're doing this once again here. Um, here recently, six weeks ago or so, two months ago, the Andrew Area Food Pantry moved into our building. They're operating on the backside of our building. They help to feed over 900 people every month. So on Tuesdays and Thursdays, people line up outside of our building to come in to get things that they need to get them through the next week or so. A couple of months ago, we started ESL classes here on Thursday nights. It's an opportunity for a, last summer. Was it last summer? We actually had a wedding. We had a wedding uh, uh, reception in our building. And so what is becoming increasingly clear and increasingly obvious is that God wants to turn 455 West Depot Street into a community center. Something that is greatly needed in our community. There is nothing like this in town. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to fix up this building so that we can wear it out. We're going to leverage the mess out of this space for the sake of Christ, for the good of others, and for the glory of God. Fix it up to wear it out. So last July, our landlord calls me, informs me, Rick, I have to sell the building which causes a little bit of fear and worry and stress and angst because there is nothing else in town remotely comparable to this space. Nothing. There's a reason why the food pantry is in our building because they, they couldn't even find something for themselves and they don't need a certain amount of space, let alone a church that's growing and trying to get things done. So here we are trying to figure out what do we do now? What do we do now? And so we look around, there's nothing else available in the town, nothing comparable 
Nothing nearly as good as what this is in regards to location, size, cost, etc. Influence, ability to impact the community. And so I knew as, as far back as last July, I knew, I knew, I knew we have but one play. And that play is to buy this building. That's our option. Buy this building, which is an incredible challenge considering at the time we're two and a half years old as a church. We're not a particularly big church and we're not a wealthy church. And if some of you are, you're just holding out on me. You haven't, you haven't shared that good news with me yet. So here we are. We got we to figure something out as far as what to do. So we started praying, we started planning, and we put together a vision campaign. And just watch me here. This is not a capital campaign. This is not a budget campaign. This is not a building campaign. This is a vision campaign. Because we do need to purchase the building in order to do the work and to do the ministry. It's a, it's a place from which to launch our mission into this community. But it's not about the building. It's about the greater vision that God has placed before us as a church family. So let me just spell out the details of this vision. Number one, turn this building into a community center. And not just this building, mind you. Some of the surrounding properties right around our building in order to create a campus that then different people in different groups can use the facility and so we can maximize a space for the sake of the gospel. Number two, we want to hire biblical counselors. I cannot even begin to get you into the stats and the demographics, but there is a massive need in our community for people who are called by God, gifted by God, trained in order to give advice and help because we've got an incredible amount of people in our area suffering with all kinds of addictions that need next-level help or people whose marriages just need some help. And so have some people that can be there and walk alongside with them for a season. Number three, we want to create a kids' ministry, a kids' program. And I'm not talking about Sunday morning, Sunday school. I'm talking about a throughout-the-week daycare Preschool, that junk is expensive, y'all. Like, you have children, that mess is expensive. We want to be able to subsidize that and help families in our town. And that would give you an influence not only into the lives of those children, but into the lives of those families. And in town, the, 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 the per capita resident of people under 18 is enormous in Andrew. It's 12% higher than the national average. We have more children than the national average. So there is an opportunity for us to truly impact the next generation in a very tangible way. And so that is a bridge that we need to build into this community. Number four, we want to create a housing program. This is nuts, y'all. This, this is what we have talked about for over three years. We want to buy houses around town that are beat up and run down, dilapidated. Fix them up. Then take a person or family that is struggling, get them in that house, Low rent, cheap, cheap rent, get them on their feet, get them some training, pour ourselves into them, train them up, give them some job experience or something, and then send them on their way. Like, isn't that what the church is supposed to be doing, that kind of ministry? Uh, number five, we want to create an elderly daycare. This is weird. We live in a, in a time, a day and age where we're living longer. Well, now it turns out that we're living so long that it's harder for the older uh, seasoned citizens in our community to just be at home by themselves. But they can't afford a nurse, so they've moved in with their children. But the children go to work. 
Well, who's there to watch over the 80 to 90 year old or so? So we want to create a situation where they can get dropped off as elderly daycare and they can play their bingo and they can play their shuffleboard or do whatever it is that they want to do. But is this not what the church is called to do? It tells us, take care of children, look after orphans, take care of the elderly, the widows, etc. Folks, God has very clearly painted a picture of the specific ministry that he desires to be Anthem Church. It is to build significant bridges that, that are inroads into every neighborhood and cul-de-sac, into families, into the lives of people. Why? Because this is the hostile takeover of Andrew. And I say that tongue-in-cheek, right? I, I say we're going to hostile takeover town with grace and with love. Because people need to know about who Jesus is. They need the hope of the gospel in their lives. And it's been commandeered by the, by the enemy. So we want to be everything that we can be and maximize the effort of our resources in order to claim this territory for the sake of Christ. That is what God has placed before us. So over the last nine months or so, when, when our landlord said that, he needs to sell the building. We've been busy. We've been busy at work trying to figure out how do we make this sucker happen? How can we get ourselves in a position to make this happen? So, anthemers, so, you know, those who come to church here, we got some anthemers who have given specifically for our vision campaign, which we've entitled Greater Things, our Greater Things vision campaign. So some have given through that. Uh, also, last fall into the winter, we sent out support letters like missionaries do support letters to friends and family and otherwise in order to raise some support that way. And I'll be honest with you, that was like crazy successful. I know it's weird for some people, I send letters, why? Folks, at the end of the day, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a missionary too. We just happen to be a missionary here as opposed to China or somewhere else. So there's no difference. So we're asking people, hey, can you help us with our ministry? Can you help to support the gospel here in Anger? And the third thing we did is that we held a fundraiser, this huge fundraiser dinner last month, which was crazy successful and an incredible amount of fun to, to pull it off. And so God has provided through those things. God has blessed our efforts to get in a position where we can maybe possibly purchase this building. And the fact is that in a short amount of time, we've actually raised a good, decent amount of necessary funding for us to do what we got to do. So last week, 10, 10 days ago, I sit down with our landlord with, for what is the biggest meeting of my entire life to ask him the scariest question of my entire life. Sir, what is the minimum amount that you're willing to sell this building for? And short, long, short, long story short, long story short, are you ready? Are you ready for this? Long story short, we have an agreement that in 90 days, no longer than 90 days, this week we're going to sign a contract that by the middle of June, this building will in fact be purchased. This is nuts. Yeah. Folks, we're, not, we're three, a little over three years old. Look around. We're not, we're not hundreds and thousands of people here. And that God has opened up the opportunity and the availability that we can actually step in and fully purchase this building for the glory of God. That is amazing. 
That is amazing. I have told, for those of you who've been here for at least nine months, I've been saying repeatedly, throughout this process, we're going to get a front row seat in seeing something God, seeing God do something absolutely remarkable. Because this is not normal. This is not typical at all. So praise God and thank you all who've given and sent letters and helped out with the dinner and all that you have done to make this possible. And right now, right now it almost feels like we're Israel at the parting of the Red Sea. So we're kind of on the, the shores of the Red Sea. We're feeling all this pressure, right? The enemy is descending. we got to do something. Something has got to happen. And we're actually watching God separate the waters. But we're not there yet. In three months we'll be there, but we're not there yet. God is, God is doing his part right now, but we have to do our part. Because God didn't just beam Israel to the other side. They actually had to show their faith. They had to flex their, their faith, pick up all their mess that they were carrying, and actually walk across that trench to get to the other side. And that's where we are now. There, there's some things that we need to do to make sure that we bring this thing to completion. We need to show our faith, and we, we got to pick up our stuff and get to the other side. So here's our role. Here's our role, okay? We're a little short. We're a little short, ultimately, on the, on the amount that we need, and we have two months, technically, to get there. It's not a tremendous amount, and, and I tell you, I, I'm, I'm not going to bore you with the fears, but anyway, I know that we can get there, okay? And, and the thing is, I want us to make one final, last-ditch all of it, as much as we possibly can. Just, let's just go, let's just put this to bed. Let's just put this to bed and move on to the greater things that God would desire us to do. It is important. we got to have a space. we got to use a space and all that. But a building is not ultimate, right? It's not about building. It's not about brick and mortar. It's not about a geographical address. It is about impacting people for the gospel. So let's just get this over with so we can move on to the things that really matter. So one final push to make this happen. So here's the ask. Anthemers, if you're a follower of Jesus and this is your church, if you're a follower of Jesus and God has called you to this church, if you're a follower of Jesus and God has used this church to bless you, one last effort in giving. Okay, specifically toward our greater things. And so I'm not saying at the expense of our general budget. This is on top and beyond what are we normally give because we still have to pay the power bill. All right. So this is about giving. Maybe it's a one time gift as much as you possibly can. Or maybe it's OK. I can't really do much of a one time, but I can do something in March. I can do something in April. However, that works. But to just add to the coffers so that we can when we go to put the down payment, we have more than enough that we need so that our Payment is where it should be, okay? So one last-ditch effort there to do that. One, uh, the other thing is we're going to do one more round of support letters. Everyone's favorite, all right? So what we're going to do is that this week we're remaking the letter that we sent out. It's a formal letter from me, from the church, that next week you, we'll have out there and we'll hand to you anthemers for you to either mail or better yet to hand deliver to friends, family, neighbors, coworkers. So your homework this week, come up with the list of people. If you're going to mail it, make sure you have the address. If you're going to mail it, we ask that you write a personal note, right? Because mine is just a generic one from the church itself. But something, hey, haven't seen you in a while. Hope all things are going well. 
I have this incredible opportunity. I'm a, let me tell you about my ministry, folks, because this is your ministry too. Let me tell you about how God is using me and my church to do some tremendous things. And we need a little bit of help. Would you partner with us? Okay, so make it personal that way. The third thing that's going to happen is that over the next month, I have this list of people that I'm going to sit down with, people that have a deeper pockets than the normal Joe. And so I'm going to sit down with these folks and see if they're willing, cast some vision and see if they're willing to support us that way so we can get to where we need to get to. And the last thing, and certainly not the least, is please pray. Please pray for this. If you've never prayed, start praying. If you have prayed, pray more. Pray without ceasing and pray that God would bring this to completion. Folks, this is so doable. This is so doable. Scripture tells us. God owns all the cattle on a thousand hills. Which is to say that God owns all the cattle on all the hills. And on top of that, God actually owns the hills. And he owns the planet upon which the hills stand. And he owns the cosmos upon which the planet hangs. This is nothing. What we're actually asking of God is less than peanuts. It's peanut crumbs, peanut dust. It's what we're asking. And not only can God provide, I'm absolutely 100% certain that he will. He is going to part this Red Sea. That's his role. We've got one to do. And in three months, we will be on the other side of the Red Sea rejoicing and celebrating that God has given this opportunity to our church. This is a privilege this is a privilege and an honor that we get to have this before us in our lives. I have talked to so many pastors over the last nine months about this. Church consultants, fundraising people, church planting network people. I mean, on and on and on. And I've asked and I've asked and I've asked. Have you ever, what do I do? What do I do? And they're like, we've never even heard of a church being put in this situation, let alone one your size and your age that you have to come up with this amount of money and this amount of time, and otherwise, like, what happens to the church, like a die, die, you know, all or nothing, kind of sink or swim type motion, uh, uh, situation. Like, they've never even heard of a situation like this. And I'm like, ha, I figured it out. God has specifically put us in this place so that we would learn to trust him more, so that he could grow our faith. Why? Because he wants to do greater things through us. There, there is a tapping on the shoulder that God is giving to this specific body. You know that Andrew in northern Harnett County, southern Wake County, western Johnson County needs a church like Anthem. A church that is single-minded in regards to our mission and the vision that God has placed before us. They need, that this area needs a church that actually wants to connect with people, leverage all the resources to pour it out to help individuals in our community, to see them come to Christ, and then to see them discipled in their faith. This area desperately needs to hear of a church that does that and to see a church doing it. This world needs to see a church that is filled with individuals who have tasted of the grace of God, and because of that, we move forward. We move forward. We move forward so that others can taste of the, of the glory of God, that they may taste of the grace of God and have their future secured. So, folks, let me just tell you, God is moving. God is moving forward. And the question that 
is left is, are we? Will we? Will you and I, will we move forward with what, with what it is that God himself is doing? God's grace always calls us to move forward. Always. God's grace always calls us forward. God's mission always urges us forward. God's blessings always fuel us to move forward. The gospel of Jesus Christ always inspires us forward, forward, forward. The Christian faith is a forward faith. It's a forward-looking faith, and it's a forward-moving faith. It tells us in Titus chapter 2, verse 13, it says, We wait for the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We look forward to that with eager anticipation for the day in which our Lord and our Savior, Jesus, descends down from heaven and comes to claim his people, all who are his followers, who believe in him, who know him, right, to claim us so that we may behold his faith, that we may be with him forever and ever. So that is what the blessed hope of the gospel is, that we wait with eager anticipation for that day. But our faith is not a static faith. It's not like we sit around on our hands, just looking up, waiting, well, is today the day, Jesus? That's not the kind of forward-looking faith that we're to have. No, it's an active faith. It is an active waiting faith. And the way that we wait actively is by always moving forward in our faith. It's always a step of faith after another step of faith. It's growing in our relationship with Christ. It's drawing near to him, becoming holy and godly and righteous in our behavior. It's growing as missionaries and witnesses in this world. It is applying our backbone always forward, always. Everything, the calling upon our life is to move forward. And we can live this way because that is precisely how Jesus lived. We can move that way. We can live that way because that's how Jesus lived. No retreat, no turning back. Like no matter what Jesus faced, no matter what took place, he always moved forward. And that is what we're talking about today and for the next few weeks. We're looking at John chapter 18. And we're going to be using it today and be walking through John 18 for the next few weeks in anticipation of Easter. It's going to be a really good way for us to celebrate Easter in a few weeks. John 18 gives us the details of the final moments prior to Jesus' crucifixion. So it's the night before. So it gives us what takes place there. And what we're going to see is that Jesus didn't let the worst of circumstances put him back on his heels. He moved always forward with courage and with resolve and faithfulness in every way. And we can be the same way. We can always move forward, always move forward, no matter what it is that we face in this life. So let's just start working our way down John chapter 18 here. Verse 1, it starts out. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words. When Jesus had spoken these words. So these words refer to everything that Jesus has said in John chapter 13, 14, 15, 
16 and 17. What takes place in those chapters is that Jesus has gathered with his disciples to observe what is the Passover meal. And over that meal, Jesus engages his disciples in what is pretty much the greatest dinner conversation of all time. Just go back and read those chapters. He, he talks to them. He speaks to them over dinner about being humble, but displaying humility in our lives. And so how does Jesus even display that? During that dinner, he gets down and he washes his disciples' feet. And during that dinner, he's talking to his followers and he says, I have a new command for you. And that command is given to us in John 13, 34. He says, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. That his followers are to love each other the same way that God loves us. And during that, that dinner, he's sitting down with his disciples and he looks them in the eye and he says, I am the way the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And at that same dinner, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he looks them in the eye and says, I'm leaving. I'm leaving you. But I'm going somewhere to prepare a place for you. And in the meantime... I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send the very Spirit of God to be with you, walk with you, to lead you, guide you, to, pro to protect you, to teach you, comfort you, counsel you all along the way. And so in that dinner conversation, Jesus is not only telling the truth that his disciples need to know, he's telling them the truth that they need to live not just know, but to actually live. Because the Christian faith is not just about believing. It's about believing to the point that it actually changes how I live. That's what the Christian life is. So let me explain it to you this way. Just outside our building, there's a tree. You've seen it. I know that there's a tree there. I believe that there's a tree there. So what? What difference does it make to my life? However, what if I know that there's a tree there and I believe that there's a tree there, so today I take a swing and I hang it off of one of its branches and I take wind chimes and I hang it off one of the other branches and I take a bird feeder and I hang it off of one of the other branches and then I build a, a fort in it for kids to play in and in the summertime I sit underneath its shade. See, that's what true Christian biblical faith looks like. That's the real deal. It's believing in something to the point that it actually changes what I do, how I live. It affects my life. There, there is a disturbance to the good for then how I live. And that is precisely what Jesus calls his followers to do in John 13, 14, 15, 16, ultimately 17 as well. And so today, he's calling us to the same thing. Don't just believe. Do. Don't just believe, but let it transform you. So Jesus, after speaking all of those things, it tells us in verse 1, it says, He went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. And we know that that garden is the Garden of Gethsemane. And here's where the plot thickens. In verses 2 and 3, we read that Judas has betrayed him. 
one of his own. One of his own disciples has betrayed him. We know from the other gospels, from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that he has conspired with those who hate Jesus and want to see Jesus killed. He's conspired with them. So for 30 pieces of silver, he sold Jesus out. He's going to disclose the whereabouts of this one that he called friend, that he walked with for, for three years. And all of this takes place under the cover of darkness. It all takes place at night. And it has to be at night because what's taking place is illegal. There are no real charges. There's no real substance or argument against Jesus because he's done nothing wrong. So they do it at night so that they can get away with what is an illegal trial, illegal condemnation, and ultimately an illegal execution. So Judas leads an, ar an armed mob to where Jesus is. And verse 3 tells us precisely who makes up this mob. It says there, a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees. So the original Greek there, from which we translate from, where it says band of soldiers, that word spera means basically or refers to Roman soldiers. Roman soldiers, so these soldiers are Romans, and then it says that there are chief priests and, and officers from them and Pharisees. So what's that group made of? Jews, right? So you got Romans and you got Jews. Well, from a biblical perspective, there's only two kinds of people on the planet, Gentiles and Jews. The Romans represent the Gentile world. The Jews, obviously, the Jew world. What you have here is a representation of the entire world aligned together, conspiring against the Son of God. And this is precisely what is prophesied in the Old Testament. Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointing, against the Christ, the Messiah. So it was foretold that the entire world would conspire against Jesus. And that's precisely what is happening in John chapter 18. And so we're, we're reading this and we're, we're looking at this story. And this now brings us to what is one of the most inspiring verses of the Bible. One of the studliest verses of the Bible. One of the most muscular verses in the Bible. Verse 4. It says, Then Jesus knowing all that would happen to him, did what? Came forward. Three years prior to this event, he knew that Judas would betray him. But he asked him to be a disciple anyway. Why? To fulfill the will of the Father. That very night, before going, going to the Garden of Gethsemane, that very night, he knew that an armed mob would show up to illegally arrest him. He went to the garden anyway. Why? To fulfill the will of the Father. He knew that that mob was going to take him and whip him, scourge him. They're going to torture him. They're going to beat him. They're going to punch him in the face. They're going to slap him in the face. They're going to shame him and mock him and ridicule him. He knew that, and yet he went forward. Why? To fulfill the will of the Father. He knew that those same men who would be so aggressively and, gr and gr uh, gruesome in their attack toward him. He knew that they would nail him to a cross. 
a form of torture and death that could only be invented by the evil wickedness that it lies within the desperately wicked heart of man. A device specifically made to prolong death while maximizing pain. And even though Jesus knew that would happen, he went forward. Why? To fulfill the will of the Father. Jesus knew from the very beginning of his earthly ministry what would happen. Jesus, in heaven, before he, be, he came down and was born through the Virgin Mary, he knew what would happen. Before the foundations of the earth, Jesus knew exactly what lay before him. From eternity past, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, he knew he would be hated, that he would be betrayed, and that he would be crucified. He knew that beforehand. He knew that he would go to a cross, and on that cross, he would be crushed. He would be crushed by the wrath of God on account of every sin ever committed in the universe. He went to the cross even though he knew that he would be accursed, that he would be forsaken, that he would be cast into outer darkness. And yet, knowing all of that, Jesus did what? He leaned into it. He stepped into it. He moved forward there. And let's not think for one second that in any way that was easy for Jesus. We read in the Gospel of Luke, it describes there the intense emotional turmoil that this created in the very heart of Christ. He went to the Garden of Gethsemane specifically to pray, Father, if there's any way that you can remove this cup from me, if there's any other way, if there's some other option, Lord, Father, please remove from my path what is about to take place. Like his agony, and it's hard to think about this because we know that Jesus is God, right? He's the God-man, fully God, fully man in every way. He is the Son of God, the second member of the Trinity, God the Son. And yet the, to think that he is under such emotional turmoil, so much so that an angel from heaven is dispatched to minister to him and strengthen him. And the turmoil is so intense that that actually does little, if any, good. His despair... And I don't know that any of us in this room, no matter what it is that we've gone through in life, have ever gotten to the point that we're so stressed over a situation that you bleed, that you sweat blood. So intense was his agony that the capillaries around or in his sweat glands burst and he sweated blood. So you have to ask, like, why in the world would Jesus do that? Why in the world would he move forward into it? Because despite, despite the suffering that he endured, even at the thought of the suffering he would endure, he still stepped forward into it. And he did so all for the sake of the will of the Father. But you've got to ask, why? Why would God himself lean into such a plight? And the reason, there's one reason, y'all, and it's glory. Glory. For the glory of the Father, for his own glory, and for the sake of securing for us eternity 
in the midst of his glory. Jesus moved forward to the cross. He went forward to the cross to meet our greatest need. On that cross, he became a curse to lift the curse of sin from us. He went to the cross that we may be spared and forgiven of every shortcoming and every failure and every sin, every transgression that we've ever committed against God. Jesus went to the cross to die for us that we may have eternal life in his presence forever and ever. Jesus stepped into that for our good, for his glory. And even now, the Son of God is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's doing what? He's moving forward. He said he's preparing a place for us for that day when he comes down and descends upon the clouds and claims unto himself all the people who belong to him, who follow him, who know him, that we may see his face and be with him forever and ever. So, Jesus went forward And in so doing, he secured our future. We, all of us, can look forward. We can have faith, forward faith because of what Jesus did in the past. We can have a looking forward type of faith because Jesus moved forward to the cross. Because he's always advancing the will of God. He's always advancing the will of his Father. But we're not just to have this forward-looking faith. We're supposed to also have what? A forward-moving faith would imitate the example of Jesus who always moved forward in advancing the cause of God, advancing the will of the Father, no matter what the difficulties and no matter what the challenges and no matter what the hardships are. Because the reality is that once we start taking strides and moving forward in the, in the scope of God's will, we're, it's going to cost us something. It's going to bring some hardships that otherwise we wouldn't endure. It's going to mean sacrificing some stuff that otherwise we may enjoy. And I guarantee you this, and I don't make many promises, but I can make a promise because God made it. So God made this promise. The very moment, if you're a follower of Christ, the very moment that you enter eternity in the presence of God, Anything and everything that you have let go of in this world for the sake of God's will, you will not miss it one iota. The riches of glory and love that you will partake of. I didn't go on that vacation to such and such. It won't matter. I didn't have a house that was 2,500 square feet. It won't matter. I didn't get the brand new car. It won't matter. I got made fun of because I followed Jesus. It won't matter. I lost my job because I was a follower of Jesus. It won't matter if you step into the will of God. All those things that come with it that are negative as a result in this world, less than ideal, it won't matter one bit. Not one bit. So in this life, what are we called to do? What is God's will for our life? Love. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor, which just means put the interests of God and the interests of others ahead of your own. The will of God is for you to be generous and charitable and benevolent to help those in need. That's the will of God for us to serve and to be sacrificial in every way. What's God's will for your life? Are you married? Are you married? Husbands and wives actually love each other, respect 
one another. Be gracious and forgiving to one another when the other makes a mistake. Be patient and kind. Build each other up. Don't tear each other down. Build each other up in the midst of the financial difficulties of marriage and and the other stuff that comes along with it when it's so hard. What is God's will? Love your spouse. Endure them and endure with them. Are you a parent? Are you a parent? Patiently disciple your children. That's the will of God. And I say patiently because it's not easy. The munchkins don't make it easy, and we're tired, and we don't want to sometimes, but we're to disciple them, instruct them in the ways of the Lord, help them to grow and become lovers of Jesus Christ. So disciple them. Do you work? Do you have an employer? Every day when you go to work, put in a full, hard, honest day's work, no matter how awful that boss may be or how terrible the person in the cubicle next to you may be, put in an honest day's work and shine the light of God in that office. You ever see someone in need? Someone that needs some some kind of help? Stop and help them. Go out of your way. Be inconvenienced for their good. Give sacrificially, financially, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the ministry. Again, like, yeah, it means I will not get to have this toy or this entertainment or this vacation or this stuff, but it won't matter. We give it up gladly because through that funding, other people will come to know the grace of God. Has anyone ever asked you to pray for them? Pray for them. Pray for them. This is God's will. You lie down at bed and you're so tired from such a hard day. And like right before you're about to fall asleep, it crosses your mind. Oh, they asked me to pray for them. Get up, get on your knees and pray for them, even if it means you lose sleep. For some or for all of us, God's will is what? Serving. Serve. Apply your gifts and your talents your experience and your expertise and apply it to the ministry. Come alongside other believers for the sake of the gospel. And you say, I have no skills and I have no experience. I have no expertise. I have no, no, no talents or no gifting. All right, well then just give yourself over to it and God will make a way. And for some in this room, it's actually time. God has been tapping you on the shoulder. It's time to step into a, an area of leadership. To help take the burden off of other people and for enter a season where I'm going to run a ministry. Or maybe there's a new ministry that needs to take place and God is asking you to lead that. Either way, God is asking us collectively to come together as a church and to serve with one another. That this church would be everything that God wants us to be. And yes, that means less free time. And yes, that means tonight I don't watch my heels play at 6 o'clock. Yes, and that's, I don't even want to put that up in the scope of sacrifice, right? But when we're operating to further, to move forward God's will, it always comes with some level of sacrifice. There's always a cost. It's always difficult. It's always challenging. There's always attacks. There's always persecution. There's always something that I have to then accept as a result of following God's will, because it always calls me to move forward no matter how difficult it may be.
And so why? Why in the world should any of us give ourselves over to such a life? It's because of who Jesus is. It's because of who Jesus is. There in verse 4, it says, Jesus went forward. So he saw the mob coming. And in verse 4, Jesus goes to the mob. He goes forward to them and he asks, whom do you seek? And in verse 5, the mob answers, we seek Jesus of Nazareth. And then Jesus answered them. He says, I am he. I am he. Literally, in the original language, it's ego I me, which means I am. He answered them, not I am he or it is I. He answered, I am. That word, those two words, point us back all the way to the Old Testament, to Exodus chapter 3, the moment where Moses met God. And he says, God, what is your name? And God Almighty said, I am am who I am. That is the meaning of his name, Yahweh. I am who I am. I am the great I am. I am the sovereign, self-existing, self-emanating, eternal, immortal God of all existence. And in this verses here, these verses here, in verse 6, Jesus proclaims to the mob, he says, I am. Am And when he proclaimed his name in that moment, that mob, what happened to them? They got thrown back. They got thrown back. They fell to the very ground. In that moment, they encountered the truth of who they were dealing with. They were dealing with the Lord Almighty to whom every knee will bow. See, at the end of the day, in our lives, we all are going to have to wrestle with this question sooner or later. Whom do you seek? You have to face that question. Who is Jesus to you? So are we going to be like the mob? They were seeking Jesus only to eliminate them or eliminate him from their life. That's the only reason they were seeking him, to remove, them from, from, remove Jesus from their life. Are we going to be like that, or are we going to be people who seek after Jesus, not to eliminate him from our lives, but to embrace him and to grab hold of him and to know him? Are we going to be people who seek after Jesus only because we need something? Or are we seeking Jesus because we need him? Because we know that he is the God of glory, full of majesty and love and mercy, and that his closeness is our good. Like, are we seeking after Jesus only because we want him to serve us? Give me, give me, give me, bless me, bless me, bless me, give me, give me, give me. Or are we seeking after Jesus because we understand that our role is to serve him who is the king of glory? Whom do you seek this morning? Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? How you answer that question will determine how you move in life. Because we can either be like that mob that got thrown back because they rejected Jesus, so they got thrown back, or we can be a people who move forward in faith and embrace Christ. We can either be a people who move back in opposition to God's will, or we can be a people who move forward as furtherers of God's will. So which is it going to be? Which is it going to be? 
Life is about moving forward. Nothing good comes from not moving forward. We're in the midst of March Madness. The NCAA, the blessed and glorious NCAA tournament. What's it about? Advance. Advance. Forward. Always forward. In boxing, which is the boxer that wins the fight? The guy who's moving forward or the guy who's standing flat-footed? It's pretty clear. In school, how does school work? I have to learn a subject so that I can move forward. So I can graduate to the next level. Everything in life is about moving forward. Never backwards. And spiritually, it's the same way. The Christian faith is a forward faith where we're always looking with faith forward in anticipation of Jesus' return. And in the meantime, we move forward for the sake of Jesus. This morning, God wants you to go forward. So you have to ask yourself, is there anything holding you back? Is there anything that has entangled you in such a way, has bound your feet and bound your hands and bound your heart in such a way that you can't move forward? What are those things? Are you willing to sever it all now? Are you willing to, to lay it down, let go of it, bring it to Christ so that it can be removed so that you can move forward in faith? Are you, are you ready to go there, to go to that place that is so much better? Church, God wants our church to move forward. It's very clear from everything that is happening in the life of our church. He wants our church to move forward. So the question is, what are you going to do to help this church to move forward? How can you help? How can you come alongside? How can you serve and give of your, your talents and your time and your treasure, your resources, and give of your life so that this church can move forward exactly the way that God desires it to? And God wants this town and this region to move forward. He wants people to know his grace. He wants people to know who Jesus is. It says in Scripture that God desires that no one would perish. Desires that all men would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so we're here for that. So God, folks, is moving. God is moving forward. Are we? Are you? Am I? So I'm going to ask you all to just bow your heads and close your eyes and, and to enter into a time of response. And I'm going to ask those last few questions again for you to ponder in your heart. God wants you to move forward. What is holding you back? And are you willing to take those things to the feet of Christ even now so that it does not hinder you anymore? Is it a love for the things of the world? Is it a fear of your fellow man? Is it a, a desire for things that you shouldn't desire? Is it, what is it? Is it a, a particular sin in your life that just finally needs to be dealt with? You need to confess to God and, and to bring it to resolution and ask for grace to move forward. 
What is holding you back? And as it regards this church, what is holding you back from helping this specific faith family to move forward and accomplish the great and wonderful, greater things that God has called us to do? There is a loving and gracious God who gave his life for you on the cross. And you just kind of have to come to him humbly and honestly. Just come clean. He knows it all. He loves you anyway. That is clear. And he's just asking for you to turn from certain things and turn to him. Move toward him. Gracious Heavenly Father, your will is a perfect one. It is a wise one and it is a good one. And we don't understand all of its particulars, Lord, for your ways are higher than our ways and your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. But Lord, now I ask that you would give everyone in this room the, the courage and the strength and the humility now, Lord, to step forward and to embrace your will for our lives, Lord. And it may be for someone in this room this morning that they've never actually stepped forward to accept Jesus Christ as Lord. They've never actually asked you for forgiveness and they've never received your grace, Lord. And I pray that if there is someone in this room this morning of which that is true, that now that they would step forward in faith and embrace the gospel of Christ. You desire greater things and beautiful things for us. Purpose in this life. A reason for breathing each day. So I ask that we would do so with intention and with urgency. That we would move forward in our lives. No matter the difficulties that it may bring. For one day a trumpet will sound. And we will see you face to face. Lord, you are our hope. You're the solution to all our worry and all our cares. We thank you for the gift of your Son, our one and only Messiah, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that I pray. Amen.